Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Jesus made seven I am statements, and they reveal a complete picture of who he really is. Journey with us through his life as we discover all that Jesus claimed to be. Starting a new series today called Not Who You Think I Am. Not Who You Think I Am. And uh, I, I get to hear a lot of behind-the-scenes information from a lot of you in our church. Sometimes that doesn't always trickle out to everybody, but it's been a crazy week. It's been a crazy week of sicknesses and death. And uh, this week was the one-year anniversary of my mother passing away. And there's been some crazy stuff at my house. Some of you know that, some of you don't. But, uh, and now today I feel like my ears are ringing and maybe one of my kids has pink eye. And so if you've got kids back in sidekicks, you're welcome right? And so who knows what's going on, but, uh, but I just think all that stuff is just distraction to try and keep us from the truth. And I felt fired up this morning. Stephanie and I got up at, I don't know, because the time changed. 4 a.m., 5 a.m. is what we thought we were, and I was like, there's no way it's 5 a.m. And I looked over at my clock, and of course it was 4 a.m. And I was like, oh, sweet. But then my phone had said, it switches, so it said 5 a.m., so I was disappointed all over again. But, but I woke up, and I had like this really cool time at the desk, sitting in our bedroom, of just listening to some music and praying and thinking through some of these ideas for today. And so uh, I'm going to share them with you. I hope that they'll ring true for you from God's Word and that you'll be able to experience something brand new and fresh. But if you ask people to close their eyes and picture Jesus, right, all over the world, you could get a lot of different images in people's heads, right? Um, that, that might depend on what country you're in, what church you're in, what faith you're of, um, what your background is, what your personal experience has been interacting with the word Jesus, right, or the person Jesus, <coughs> And so you could get a lot of various images in your head. So you don't have to shout it out, but just in your head right now, if you would picture kind of the image that comes to your mind's eye when you hear the word Jesus. For some people, that could be a cross. For others, that might be an empty tomb. For others, that might be a phony. For some, that might be a great teacher. For some, that might be, um, you know, a Jewish leader, a rabbi. For others, that might be the Son of God. Some people might see him on earth, and some people might picture him in heaven. Some people might only picture them, him right beside them. Everybody's a little different. I spent a little time this morning Google searching Jesus. You ever done that? You get, you get some crazy stuff, right? But if you Google image search for Jesus, I, I found some pictures of what people see or think of when they see Jesus. I'm going to show you a couple of them right now. You ready? Here's the first one. Some people see this, the picture of Jesus on the cross. A lot of times he's thin. I don't know how they know Jesus was thin. He went to a lot of parties. He might have been big. Who knows, you know? But he's usually thin. It's often white in the pictures, right? Or some people see a picture that looks like this. It's got like this blonde hair and blue eyes Jesus, right? You got the blonde hair, blue eyed Jesus. And some people see this picture when they see Jesus, like the shining light the Shekinah glory kind of glowing out from behind him, 
wherever he goes. And of course, ex except for like on the mount where he did the transfiguration for three of his apostles, he probably didn't have a shining light glowing around him uh, all the time as he was walking around earth. Or, nor did he have like his own theme music. And it makes me think this week, like our son does his own theme music now. I don't know if I told you guys that yet or not. Well, like our son, he does his own theme music. So like if you watch him, he's playing by himself. He'll be like laying on the floor, playing with like little action figures. And out of nowhere, he'll just be like, da 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 Like he'll do like his own music. And then I was like, I was telling Stephanie about it, how cool I think that is. You can watch him. He'll do like his own little show, you know. And then I said to Stephanie, I do the same thing. Like I never realized it, but I don't, I don't do that. But like I whistle and I kind of hum. And whatever I'm doing, I kind of do like my own theme music. So I guess he got that for me. But here's another picture. Some people see maybe like the black Jesus. This was like a rebellion like image in the 60s to the whole like blue hair or blue eyes, blonde hair Jesus. And, and a lot of black people were like, well, I think Jesus was black. And so they go out with the black Jesus. Or I went on Hallmark's website and you can find a less than $7 plush toy of Jesus. Maybe, maybe. There he is, yeah. He's only six fifteen or something like that. Hallmark's website for a plush toy Jesus, and then I saw they had a plush toy Jesus that like stuck his finger in an electrical outlet because he looked like this, right? But like, if you ask people, what do you see when you see Jesus? All of these images look different, and everybody in the room might have a different image. I got I got to tell you this morning, all of those pictures I just showed you are all false, right? That Jesus wasn't like a scrawny, little, weak guy. When he hung on the cross, it wasn't real pretty with like a little trickle of blood streaming down his cheek, you know? It was brutal looking. It was probably like he was probably ripped to shreds from all the beating he took. He, he probably didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. He didn't grow up here, right? He probably wasn't black or white. He, he grew up in the Middle East, he was most likely, he most likely looked more like a Muslim than a Christian today. The way he dressed, the color of his skin. He certainly wasn't a plush toy to play with. And he surely didn't stick his finger in any electrical outlets. But it's possible that you have this image in your mind of Jesus. And it's not the real him. Some people see a happy Jesus and some people see a sad Jesus. Some people see a Jesus who's calling kids over to sit on his knee, and some people see a Jesus who's crying and dripping sweat droplets of blood in the garden. Everybody could have a different view of Jesus, but it's possible that if he were here, he'd look at you and say, I'm not quite who you think I am, that I'm a little different. And my goal in this series is for us to see the real Jesus. And so today I want to talk to you about the real Jesus. And this is really an eight-week sermon. I know I've said that to our church before, but a lot of times when we do a series, the whole series is one sermon. And so I want to encourage you to be here. I know eight weeks is a long time. That's a long time, right, Sam? But I want to encourage you to be here all eight weeks, because if not, you're going to miss a piece of the sermon. Now, we could just do it all today, but Kenny won't let us preach for five hours, Right? So we got to break it up into eight weeks. But we're going to teach through this idea of getting to know the real Jesus, and maybe he's different than you thought he was, and I hope you'll be here for each piece of that. So the best place to start if you want to get to know somebody, and this isn't, isn't just true of Jesus, 
This is true if you want to date somebody, if, if you're a family member with somebody, if you're meeting a new friend. This is how you really get to know people. First, you listen to what they say about themselves, right? When I was single and dating, I remember a friend of mine saying like, hey, if you go on a first date with a girl, if you really want the date to go well, you got to get her to talk about herself the whole time. And she won't even realize it, but by the end of the date, she'll think, that was an awesome conversation, <laughs> right? Because most people are like really, like most of us are self-centered, right? So if you spend the whole evening talking about yourself, you get back, and you're like, man, we really talked about everything. And she still doesn't know anything about you, right? I've later in life realized that guy was a fool, right? And if you do that, she never gets to really know the real you. And so you're not really a good couple at that point, right? But I tried that a couple of times. I think I might have tried that with Stephanie, getting her to talk about herself all the time. But when we were dating, she thought I was so great. It didn't even matter, right? Is that? Yeah. That's a, whoa, whoa. It really wasn't like that. Uh, but we did spend a lot of money when we were dating. You, you waste a lot of money dating. I just want to say that. That's the, that is the best benefit of arranged marriages. I'm just saying. You, you don't have to waste all that money dating, but it wasn't a waste. It was an investment. That's the way I think of it. So, but anyhow, that's how you get to know anybody. You listen to them tell you about themselves, but you don't ever stop there. You always take what they say about themselves and you match it up with the way they act moving forward, right? In other words, if he says he loves you, but every action thereafter speaks to he doesn't love you as much as he loves himself, you can bank on he doesn't really love you. I want to examine Jesus in this series the exact same way. I want to share with you what he said about himself, but then not stop there. I want us to examine the historical stories about him and see if those stories match up with what he said he was, with who he said he is, with what he said he would always do, to see if we can uncover who the real Jesus is. And maybe it's different than the Jesus we pictured in our minds. There's a word or a phrase that Jesus used quite often to describe himself, to speak of himself. If you're a note taker, you could write this on your notes. But he always said about himself this phrase, I am, I am. So I know you don't quite understand that yet. It doesn't make sense. It seems like an incomplete phrase or an incomplete thought. But for right now, just stick with me and let me just show you how Jesus said about himself, I am. Once we confirm that that's really what he said about himself, then we'll look and see what it really means. And then we'll dig deeper and see if he really lived up to what it means, okay? So first I want to share with you kind of some passages where he claims this about himself. Now to a Jewish audience, they would have understood exactly what he meant. It's different in our culture, so we're going to have to teach it. We're going to have to dig a little deeper. But he often said about himself, I am. And everybody in that Jewish crowd would have understood that to be a phrase with great religious and historical significance. In fact, to them, it would have come across as extremely bold, extremely confident, almost arrogant, almost blasphemous to claim this about himself. And Jesus claimed, I am, about a lot of characteristics. We're going to look at a lot of them in this series. But the characteristics that he claimed to be 
were only characteristics that could be attributed to God. That's what was so offensive to the listener, to the Jewish audience. I mean, it's one thing to say, God has made me strong. It's a whole other thing to say, I am strong. You get it? It's one thing to say, God has made me a light. It's a whole other thing to say, I am the light. You see where I'm coming from? And Jesus used this phrase all the time. And when people in his day and age heard it, they were taken back. And some of them thought, man, I never heard anybody say those kind of things. And some of them thought, who do you think you are to speak like that? Let me show you just a couple examples, if I can, this morning. We'll fly through these. If you're a note taker, just write down these passages. Maybe you're familiar with some of these stories. Maybe you're not. But in John chapter 4, we have this story that we call today the woman at the well. And just to give you a summary of the story, Jesus happens across this woman, and the two of them are at a well getting water. He begins to tell her a lot of things about her life that a stranger wouldn't know. She's kind of blown away by that, and it starts off a theological conversation between the two of them. She starts to ask Jesus a bunch of questions. He gives her some answers. Sometimes the questions are off track, and he keeps bringing her back to the main focus, what we really need to talk about. She keeps asking him question after question. I'm going to read you one question she asks him. It's in John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, is coming. The one who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now listen to Jesus' response in verse 26. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. In fact, the Greek text there literally says, the one that you speak with, I am. I am. He uses this phrase. Flash forward to almost to the end of Jesus' life. And he's at this new scene that we now call the Last Supper. He's sitting around with all of his closest followers, having a meal. He knows his time on earth is just about over. And he's going to teach them a lesson of how to be a real leader. And he says, if you want to be a real leader, if you want to be great, you've got to serve other people. And he gets up from the table and he washes their dirty feet to show them, even I, your master, am serving you because that's what greatness is. That's what a leader does. That's what somebody who wants to make an impact in the world lives like, like a servant. They don't understand it. He gets to Peter, and Peter's like, I don't understand what you're doing, Lord. I don't understand what's happening. Are you going to wash my feet? I don't think so. And Jesus has this conversation with Peter explaining to him, this has to happen. And he doesn't understand it. And then Jesus says, one of you guys sitting at this table is going to betray me. And they can't understand that either. They, they think, we're your friends. We're your followers. We wouldn't betray you. Of course, we know it now to be Judas Iscariot, right? He's going to betray Jesus. He gets to the end of all these things, teaching them about leadership and greatness and who would betray him, serving his friends. And they don't understand all of it. In John chapter 13, verse 19, this is what he says. I'm telling you all of this beforehand 
so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. It's the exact same Greek text. So that when all of this happens, you will believe that I am, is what Jesus literally said there. John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching a bunch of people in the temple. They, of course, again, still don't quite understand all the things he's teaching. That was pretty common for them. It's pretty common today. We teach a lot of things about Jesus, and some people hear it and don't understand it. Some people hear it and do. Some people see the facts and they believe them, and some people see the facts and reject them. Some people know the truth and embrace it. Some people know the truth and despise Jesus because of it. But they don't understand what he's saying. And he's teaching pretty much all day at the temple. And, and it breaks out into a fight, a, a disagreement between Jesus and the religious leaders. They can't understand what he's trying to teach them. It gets to a point where Jesus says to them, you don't understand what I'm saying because you're really children of your father, the devil. How about that? He just called them the spawn of Satan. That would tick you off too, right? So they get ticked off. And he says, you don't understand what I'm saying because you're really of your father, the devil. If you were like me, you would understand. I'm from my father in heaven. And they say to him, who do you think you are? We know who our daddy is. Our daddy's Abraham. We come from Abraham, not Satan. You're the one who's possessed by a demon. And I want you to hear Jesus' response to him. In John chapter 8, starting in verse 56, this is what Jesus says back to him. Your father Abraham, he rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. And he was glad when he saw it. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 58. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Here's that phrase again. I am. Verse 59, at that point, they picked up stones to throw it at him. You think it mattered to them that he claimed to be I am? You think it made them angry? It's ultimately the reason that they killed Jesus is because he kept using this phrase. He kept saying, I am, and they understood what that meant. And so they were going to kill him. They were going to stone him to death right there. Just a few examples. He uses that phrase a lot. And so like I said, at this point, even if you don't understand what that phrase means, let's just all agree that Jesus used it. Can we agree that on that? That he used it to describe himself. That he used it to talk about who he was. His characteristics, his being, what represented him best. When forced to give an answer of who he was and what he was all about, the two words he defaulted to the most was, I am. I am. To some it confused. To others it became hope and life. And to others it became a rallying cry to execute him. What did he mean? It's why they killed him. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at all these things that Jesus claimed to be. We're going to see if he really was them or not. Let me share one more with you. In John chapter 5, in John chapter 5, Jesus has just healed a crippled man. But he did it on the Sabbath day. 
And there was a Jewish law against doing any work or healing anybody on the Sabbath day. Jesus heals this crippled man, and the religious leaders don't like it. And so they start to argue with him and question his motives and question why he was doing this. And in John chapter 5, verse 16, this is what it says. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. Verse 17, Jesus' answer to him. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. Ready? Here's the reason why they always wanted to kill Jesus. Ready? For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. You starting to see why they didn't like Jesus? Might not have been such a big deal in our culture. We'd have just let him talk and called him a crazy. But in that culture, it mattered. And he was breaking the law, and he was claiming to be the very son of God, making him equal to God. They understood that, and they weren't going to stand for it. Okay, look, let me try to explain to you what he means when he says, I am. I need somebody to help me. Can somebody help me? Somebody young with energy. Rebecca. Come here, come here a second. Just stand right there in front of that mic. Ain't somebody else young with energy. That used to be you. But now you're now you're old with children. You're, you know, Faith, can you come here a second? Just hold on to this for me. Right here. Don't don't clothesline me with it, right? Can you hold that end? Just space it out. It's childproof. Let's go the whole way to the end. Stretch that puppy out the whole way. Yeah. Rebecca's got a knot. Everybody look at Rebecca and laugh. <laughs> Stretch that puppy out wall to wall. Now pull it nice and tight so it's up higher there. We're not going to limbo, Isaac. I don't want you up here limboing, all right? All right. So this is going to represent time. You with me? A timeline, right? Timeline. This is how every human being alive, whoever lived and whoever will live, views and understands time. Try to do it from your side so I don't get confused right to left. We all think there's the past and there's the future and here I am right here on the timeline living. Got it? You with me? That's how every human views time. In fact, most animals have an inability to view time this way. They can't remember too far into the past and they can't plan too far into the future. There are some animals that have God-given instinct to store th things up for the future, right? And there are some animals that if you abuse them enough, they'll be scarred and remember the past. But in general, this is a human characteristic. And I've shared with our church before that when it comes to your life on this timeline, the further into the past you live on a day-to-day -day basis, the less healthy and the more shame you'll feel. The less healthy you'll be and the more shame you'll feel. And the further into the future you live and you think, then the more delusional and fantasy-filled you're going to be. You ever meet somebody who's always in the future? You want me to get him? You want me to get him? You want me to just let him go? He's just circling me. If he starts going holy, 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 we'll just think he's an angel or something. 
Oh, his mom said he is an angel. Is that <laughs> right? And so, and so this is kind of how we view time, okay? You guys stay right there for a second, okay? Stay right there for a second. We'll let go of your rope. Can you let it go, both of you? It's not a trick. You can let go of it. Okay, stay there. Don't sit down. You have to stand the rest of the time. But this is how God views time. To him, it's all connected. It all touches. And there is no difference between the past and the future. There is no difference between the present. When you say, I did something wrong and it makes me feel guilty because I've offended God, you need to know he already knew you were going to do it a thousand years ago. It's all connected to him. There is no past, present, and future. He is the one who has always been. He is the one who is now. And he is the one who will always be. He exists outside of time. And what he's saying when he says, I am, is he's saying, I have always been. I am now, and I will always be. There is no future with me. I know everything that's going to happen. There is no past with me. I'm still there. I'm everywhere at all times. I am. Are you in the past? I am. Are you in the future? I am. Are you here right now in this moment, God? I am. Are you at my bedside when a relative dies? I am. Are you celebrating with me when something great happens? I am. Where can I go that I could get away from God, David said? Nowhere. If I went to the depths of the ocean, there you are. If I could scale the highest mountain, you would still be there. If I could go into the heavens, there I would still find God. You have known me intimately. You know every part of me. What about when I'm inside my mom's womb? I am. What about when I'm all alone and feeling discouraged and depressed? I am. Everywhere I am. Everywhere I am. God's there. That's how God views time. That's part of what he means when he says, I am. You got it? Okay, you guys can sit down. I just made you stand a little extra for fun. But when you're the pastor, that's the kind of stuff you can do. So you're welcome. You're welcome, right? I am. That's part of it. Now I want to show you the rest. There's more. But are you with me so far that that's a difference between God and humanity? He is. We haven't always been. We won't always be. We are in the present and we view time on a line. And God views us all interconnected. So let me give you some background of the story I want to share with you real briefly. It's in Exodus chapter 3. It's another pretty famous story. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard this one. We call it the burning bush, right? But in Exodus chapter 3, we don't have time to look at the whole thing, but you would do yourself a big favor if this week you'd just read Exodus chapter 3 and 4. It's a super cool story. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is out shepherding his flocks. And he leads them to a mountain, Mount Horeb, or some translations say Mount Sinai. It's the same synonym for the same mountain. He leads his flocks to this mountain, and he notices over yonder. You guys say yonder here? Is that, am I not far enough south for yonder? Or is that, okay. So he notices over yonder there's a bush that's on fire. Now we would all do just about the same thing, right? 
We'd be like, I'm going to go check that out. See, you know, I'll call the volunteer fire department. And they'll all come, we'll all come stand around that and watch it, right? So he, he's like, I'm going to go check it out. So he walks over. As he gets closer, he starts to notice that the bush that's on fire isn't being consumed. Now, that's strange. So he thinks, I'm going to investigate closer, right? He starts to get closer and closer. It turns out the bush that's on fire is actually Jesus showing up in the Old Testament to talk to Moses. He doesn't know it yet. We'll show it to you in a second. But So he gets closer. And when he gets close enough, Jesus yells out to him from the bush. The Lord yells out to him from the bush. Stop where you're at. Don't get any closer. Take off your shoes. Because the place you're standing is holy ground. In other words, what he's saying is, if you're going to come into my presence, you better recognize you need to have some respect for who I am. You with me? So Moses takes his shoes off. At that point, he recognizes this must be God talking to me. Takes his shoes off and he falls on the ground. Afraid. Worshipful. Respectful. And God says, I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go out of slavery. Some of you guys have heard this story, right? And Moses doesn't want to do it. He has all these excuses why he shouldn't do it, why he doesn't want to obey what God's telling him to do. We don't have time to look at all, but just let me give you a list of the excuses he gives. They're pretty similar to the excuses I use and probably you use when it comes to serving God or following with your whole heart. You ready? Here's the excuses he uses. First one in chapter 3 of Exodus, verse 11, he says, I'm a nobody. Who am I to go to Egypt and tell the Pharaoh anything? Who, who am I? I'm nobody. I hear that one a lot. I'm not you. I'm not as good as those people. I'm, I'm nobody. The second one in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, he says, I don't have all the answers. If I go and tell these people what you're telling me to tell them, they're going to ask me a bunch of questions, and I won't know what to say. I've heard that one too, right? I would tell my coworkers about Jesus, but they're going to ask me something I don't know the answer to, right? In Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, he says, if I go and tell them what you're telling me to tell them, they're not going to believe me. Some of them aren't going to believe me. He's afraid to be rejected, right? Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, he says, hey, I don't speak very good. I said good on purpose. You got that right. It says well on the screen, right? Everybody get what I did there? See what I did there? That was clever. Like That was like grammarly grammar stuff, Rob. Heather. All right. I don't speak very well. I don't speak very well. Okay. I'm the strong, silent type. I don't want to do that, Jesus. And then in Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, he says, I'm too scared. I'm too scared to do it. I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. Luckily, God, for Moses, just like he does for us, has a response to every excuse you got. And God gives him a response to each of these excuses. Let me read you God's five responses real quick to Moses' excuses. The first one's in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. And God says, I'll give you my presence. Remember, Moses said, I'm a nobody. God said, don't sweat it. I'll be right there with you. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. Moses had said, I don't have all the answers. And God says, don't worry, I'll give you my truth. I got your back, right? Moses said, they won't believe me if I go. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 5, I'll give you my power. 
to prove to them it's true. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, he said, I don't speak so well. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse 12, God says to him, I'll give you my wisdom. And he said, I'm too scared to go. And in Exodus chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, God says, I'll give you my courage. Just leave that list on the screen for a second. If God could show up in this room and speak to you instead of me, and you would give him all the reasons why you can't follow him with your whole heart, and you would give him all the logical answers and excuses to why you can't step up and serve him in your church, in your family, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, this is all the things he'd say to you too. I'm scared. I'll give you courage. You step, I'll give you courage. I don't have all the answers. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you my name. I'll give you truth. I'll give you my power. I'll give you my presence. All of those same things that God would give us. Moses kept saying, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not this thing, God. I'm not that. And God kept saying, don't worry. I am everything. I am all of it that you need. This is what he means when he says, I am. Right? You get it. He's everywhere at all times. But what he means is, I am everywhere for you. My name is so powerful. My truth is so effective. My wisdom is all-knowing. My courage is bottomless. My power is endless. I am everything that you're not. I want to show you one of these excuses specifically. Can I do that real quick? In Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 13, Moses protests to God. I love that phrase. Moses protests to God. This is what he says. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? He's like, I don't know your name. What am I going to tell them? Listen to God's answer in verse 14. Jesus quotes it. In John chapter 8, when they tried to stone him. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God responds. He says this to Moses. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. And the name of the Lord invokes respect and fear and trembling and reverence in the heart of the Jewish culture because they understood some things that we've lost in our age. We throw around God's name like it's nothing. Somebody steps on my toe, oh God, right? My chocolate is so good. Oh my God, that is so good. We've cheapened God's name. And the only reason we get away with that is because God has decided to pour out extra grace in this generation. But in that generation, they realized that if they spoke God's name in vain like that, in a worthless way that didn't mean anything, they were worthy of death. This is why they wanted to stone Jesus to death. 
Who are you to say, I'm God? Who are you to say, I am? Who are you to claim to be God in front of us? We should kill you. They feared the name of God so much. The Hebrew name for Lord in the Old Testament was Yahweh. That's probably mispronounced in English. Because in in the Old Testament, in Hebrew, they didn't write with vowels. And and you might not write with vowels either if you had to handwrite everything, right? So the Masoretic scribes that were writing all these copies of God's law and the prophets, they would just write consonant sounds. And so when they wrote the name Yahweh, the name for God, it was just four letters, Y-H-V-H. There were no vowels. You don't even really know how it was supposed to sound. They wouldn't even speak it out loud. When they were reading a text to the crowd, they would go through their text and they would write the vowel sounds above the lines. So they'd be able to read, right, faster. When they got to Yahweh, there were no vowel sounds. And so they took the vowel sounds from another name for God, Adonai, and they would write those above the line. So when they got to Yahweh, they would say this word that they kind of made up. And it comes out today like the word Jehovah. Because they were so afraid that if they spoke the name Yahweh, they would misuse it and be worthy of death. That's how much they respected and feared God. And so they created a whole new name for him, Jehovah. And some people use that phrase today, and it shows up in some English translations of the Bible, a lot of other English translations of the Bible. You just see the word LORD in all caps. You ever see that in your Bible? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That word is Yahweh. I am. I am everywhere in everything. I am always around, all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing. I am all of those things on that list. I am everything you're not. Moses kept looking at God and saying, here's all the things I'm not. And God kept looking back at him and saying, here's all the things I am. And he would say the same thing to us today. When I say to God, I'm not, he says to me, I am. Jesus used this phrase, I am, seven different times in the book of John to refer to his own characteristics, to label himself as something special or unique. The next seven weeks, we're going to look at all of them. Today was just the introduction. Today, what I hope you'll take away is the reverence and fear and power that just comes from God's name, Yahweh, and that Jesus claimed to be that to be the one who does everything for everyone at all times. That there is no limits to him. And we're going to look at all those characteristics, how they impact us today, how they should make a difference in our life. If we really understand them correctly and we embrace them, how they'll change us so that we'll know the real Jesus. Here they are. I want to show them to you so you can see them before we get to them in the next seven weeks. They'll be on the screen. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He didn't say, God made me these things. He said, I am these things. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection that leads to life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am 
the true vine. And I promise you, if you get to the end of this next eight weeks, these next seven weeks after today, and you understand what Jesus was really claiming to be, and you see the stories about him that proved he really was those things, and you embrace it with all you've got, it'll change the picture in your mind when somebody says, what do you see when you see Jesus? When you think of Jesus, what do you see? I see I am. In Romans chapter 10, Paul declares this verse that gets used a lot, used a lot by Christians today. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says, if you openly declare that Jesus is the Lord, you'll be saved. If you openly declare that Jesus is the Lord, you'll be saved. Three or four verses later, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, he backs up that declaration by quoting a verse from the Old Testament in Joel chapter 2. And he says this, Everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh, of the Lord, will be saved. You see what he just did there? Calling on Jesus as Lord is the same as calling on Yahweh, the one that can't even be spoken, the one that is so almighty and so powerful. He is the same guy. He is the Messiah that was to come. He is the Savior to rescue us. He is the one to overcome our fears. He is everything. But I'm not all these things, God, but I am, he says. The great I am has come to rescue us because we couldn't rescue ourselves. We had excuses and reasons and problems. And you were looking at God, telling him all the things were not, and he looks back and says, let me tell you all the things I am. Listen, they killed him because he claimed to be I am. That isn't why he died. That's why they killed him. But the reason he died is because of love. He loved us so much that he set aside all that he is and decided to die for you instead. That's brutal. I remember an atheist, uh, what's the guy's name? Wrote that book on the back table for sin. Uh, Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel, an atheist reporter, was researching Christianity to disprove it disprove that Jesus really rose from the dead and that was one of the questions that he asked if Jesus was really the son of God why wouldn't he defend himself and the answer is just one four letter word love he could have done anything he is I am but in those moments he decided for your sake for love to give it all up be beaten and ripped apart and made fun of and executed so that today he could stand in front of you through me through his word and say to you I know you're missing a lot I know you got a lot of holes but I am everything you're not and I can rescue you today I hope what you'll get from our service today is just a better picture of what it means when Jesus says, 
I am. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to examine all the claims he made about himself to back that up. I hope you'll be part of it with us. Will you do me a favor? Will you close your eyes one more second? Will you go back to that scene that Stephanie shared with you earlier? Imagining that you're in the throne room of heaven and there sits on the throne Yahweh. And I fall to my face because I'm terrified of him. That he is so brilliant, so magnificent, I can't even look at him. And there sits the Son of God beside him. And there all around the room are these angels chanting over and over again, holy, holy, holy. Uniquely different, righteous and pure, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh, the Almighty, the one who was and who is and who is to come. And they never stop. And you're in that room. Do you see it? Your picture of Jesus? That's who he claimed to be. That's who he claimed to be. Will you get that picture in your head? And just think about that. Worship him as the God he really is today. Maybe it's different than the God you've always seen.